This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast, Episode 64. You know when I'm taking off and I get to see that warm amber glow of the light when it casts its shadows and also its its sun over the towns like maple syrup. I wish that I could share that with people. But there's a person whose job it is to share that excitement, the serenity, and the inspiring views of the gravity-defying world that we live in. And, and that's the job of an aviation photographer. Well, today I have with me an aviation photographer with the unique ability to capture the essence of flight. Jose Fuji Ramos is one of the most talented and respected photographers in the aviation industry and is going to share with us his unique perspective on careers as an aviation photographer. You know, Jose is a, a multifaceted, award-winning aviation photographer based in Lakeland, Florida, which is actually where we are today uh, talking with Jose. For the past 22 years, he's documented military aviation subjects all over the United States. Currently, he's uh, NATOP certified. This, uh, that's the Navy uh, certification that he can actually fly as a passenger for flight in all different aircraft types with the U.S. Navy. Jose has actually logged flight time in various high-performance aircraft, including the F-14B Tomponk, the F-A-18 Hornet, uh, the F-18F Super Hornet, one of my favorites, the S-3B Viking, uh, TA-4J Skyhawk, the F-5F Tiger II, then the A-6B Prowler, and the SH-60, uh, the, both the F and H Seahawk. Of course, as the, the aircraft my, my wife was working on. Well, Jose, that's some incredible stuff. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, it, it's exciting to see somebody, somebody who's so talented. I, I've seen your photography, and, uh, and I've been wowed by it. I think it's just some awesome stuff that you do there. I tell you, though, to get to that point, you've had to have have done a few years of, of photography. So to actually get to the point where you could take pictures that well and capture it, first of all, you have to be talented and have some innate talent there. But, but where, did you, where did you gain all that knowledge to take those photos? Well, it's all about, like they used to say, uh, if you want to get to uh, Carnegie Hall, you got to practice, practice, practice. And uh, photography is the same thing. You just can't pick up a camera and say, hey, I'm going to be a photographer. And no matter you know what kind of money you spend on the equipment, you're still going to wind up having to put in your time to uh, basically hone that edge, hone that skill set, uh, especially you know, that critical eye to see a shot coming together. It's not just something that happens overnight. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are very, very good natural shooters, but even they will tell you that it's still having to go out there and shoot and shoot and shoot. It's a perishable skill. It's not like riding a bicycle. You just can't get back on. And if you have been uh, uh, from behind the camera or out of the cockpit, uh, as you very well know as a pilot yourself, you're a little rusty once you get back into the cockpit if you haven't flown in a while. And it's the same thing with myself as an aviation photographer. If I'm not out there uh, thinking about shots or in the airplane uh, physically demanding uh, environment, then, yeah, I'm a little rusty sometimes for, uh, for that first flight. Well, it was interesting when you were saying that all I could picture in my mind is doing aerobatics and doing instrument flying especially is, guys, you have to hone those skills. It's, it, you know, it's, as I say, it's aviation fuel. It's av gas or it's jet fuel through the carburetor or the jet engine, and the same thing with taking pictures. It's, it's you out there actually doing that. But, you know, you, you actually have, you got into photography, but you have a passion for aviation, obviously. How, how, did, you, how did you gain that passion? 
My father uh, served in the Cuban army uh, in the days before uh, Fidel Castro uh, under the Batista regime. And his uh, roommate uh, for a while was uh, in the Army Air Corps and in Cuba. And basically, he was able to take my father on several uh, flights. My father was basically a uh, an observer, even though he was a full-time veterinarian. He served as an observer when he used to fly in the AT-6 Texan and the T-33. Cool. And so when I was uh, growing up, you know, I got a lot of the stories of my dad flying in the AT-6, you know, doing low levels uh, around the coast of Cuba or jetting around in the T-33. So that kind of really sparked an interest for me. Uh, and my dad really kind of fueled that, you know, with old John Wayne movies like The Flying Tiger. Bridges of Togo Re with uh, William Holden and, of course, Baba Black Sheep when it was on TV. So it just kind of was literally putting gasoline on the fire at that point. And he was also the first person who put a camera in my hands in the form of an old, you know, Kodak box camera. And he also fueled that little passion. So, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my father. So That's a great, great story. Now, speaking of Cuba, just as an aside, I, I didn't realize you, you're – from Cuba, and uh, you actually were born in Cuba. No, my uh, my parents were born in Cuba. My parents came uh, uh, to the United States in uh, 1960, uh, basically exiles uh, from uh, the uh, the takeover uh, by Fidel Castro. Uh, so I was born in Baltimore in 1969. So interesting because uh, now, uh, like I fly over Cuba almost every week now, and uh, it's pretty it's pretty interesting how things ha- have changed dramatically. Have you been able to go back yet? No, uh, I'm actually speaking, uh, speaking with a good friend of mine who runs uh, f- uh, photography workshops. Uh, his name is Vincent Versace, and he does some stuff out of uh, Palm Beach uh, with a, a company down there. And he's putting together a couple of uh, photo tours to go down to uh, Cuba. And uh, I'm going to try to join him in November, if not the beginning of uh, next year. So it'll be kind of neat to see my parents' homeland if it comes together. Well, that's awesome. Actually, uh, next time I, I get down there to your homeland, I'll, I'll have to take some pictures for you. I don't know if they'll let Please me take it. pictures, but I'll, I'll try to do that. The, uh, it, what's, it, it is an amazing story. We're kind of on a tangent a little bit here, but it's, so, it, it's really interesting to, to actually see the photographs from Cuba. There's not many, and uh, I guess there's, there's some restrictions, so I'm not sure if I'll be able to take some pictures while I'm down there or not. Uh, but you know, getting back to your photography career, uh, if someone's listening right now, they're trying to figure out, how do I get into photography, first of all? So let's just let's go there first. Let's go to photography. Uh, you know, as, as most folks know, I did photography when I was younger, and I did uh, videographer and film, that type of thing, and uh, never really did much still. When I got into still, it got hard. Still photography, it sounds strange, but still photography takes so much more work than just shooting out of a camera that's moving. In other words, you have pictures, I did uh, video, you could edit all that, but to get that correct shot takes, takes a whole bunch of talent. Did you have to go to school for this? I did go to school a little bit for it. I took uh, several classes when I was in high school. Uh, funny story there. Uh, my senior year in high school, I took a 7.30 photography class to get out of school early. And uh, so I kind of found it a bit of a challenge to be able to focus the enlarger when uh, I couldn't even focus my eyes at that hour. But then I was at the University of Tennessee for a while, took photography classes there under a great instructor, Baldwin Lee. And uh, was a darkroom tech there for a bit. So there were days that I would come in before the sun was up and I would leave after the sun had gone down. I basically lived like a vampire in the darkroom. <laughs> so, but, you know, I did grow up basically doing the, uh, uh, the whole process, you know, taking the photograph, developing the film, developing your own prints. And uh, I think that kind of gave me a, a very interesting uh, and unique perspective that I think is lost on a lot of people today in this digital age. Um, 
I'm still a huge, huge fan of black and white. Uh, so um, you'll always see a lot of my aviation stuff that does come out in black and white. And that kind of goes back to uh, my beginnings uh, in the darkroom work. And once again, it's just kind of putting in time, time, time. So classes, University of Tennessee, I did take a couple down here in Florida at one of the community colleges. But a lot of it really does come from, again, putting your time in, uh, going out and shooting, uh, studying the uh, the work of other photographers, uh, see what inspires you. Uh, you know, I, I still kind of look at the uh, the work of Katsuhiko Toganaga. Um, I look at uh, back in the day it was also uh, C.J. Heater Heatley, uh, George Hall, uh, a son and fun our very own uh, John Leanhouts. It was uh, in his time and still is, but you know, in the cockpit, he was an incredible photographer when he was up rampaging around in A7 Corsairs and F-18s. Yeah, he did a lot of photography work uh, and a lot of uh, the stuff that you still see out there from the A7 days and especially the old Gold, Gulf War days of uh, back from 91. A lot of the images you will see will be actually two people. It will be either uh, John Light's Leanhouts or uh, Dave Hey Joe Parsons, who flew uh, F-14s in the same carrier wing. That's awesome. You know, learn something new about Lights all the time. An amazing individual. The, uh, Lights is the person who's actually the chairman of uh, Sun and Fun. So he uh, just a guy amazes me to no end. But now you actually you went to school. You finished school and, and finished up your photography. Now mm-hmm. um, you went on to do a job in photography. Obviously, you have a passion for photography. Um, and you were able to make money, I'm assuming, as a photographer after school. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It's uh, it's a feast or famine prospect. It's uh, definitely one of the uh, the arts. So you always heard the uh, the term the starving artist, and that still applies today pretty much. It's a it's a very very hard uh, environment to work in. Um, it's not something that you finish up a degree, uh, whether you get an associate's or a, a bachelor's, and it's going to be a guaranteed kind of job. I mean, you're, you're only as good as your last published work, uh, especially if you're working freelance. Uh, full-time gigs in the photo industry are rare, extremely rare. So there's a lot of people that sit there and think that, hey, you know, I've got this camera. Even if I've got the piece of paper, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be traveling the world and, and doing all this. It's not a pass. You, don't, you just don't automatically get that. It's not like uh, coming out of, out of school and uh, getting an internship as an architect and, uh, and starting to work there. It's, uh, it's a little bit harder. It is definitely a little bit harder. So... It takes uh, a passion. It takes a drive. It takes the uh, the willingness to sit there and kind of realize that there are going to be days when you don't feel that you're measuring up to your full potential or that people are seeing your full potential. You can't let it get to you. You cannot let it get to you. You have to just kind of keep pressing on. Very performance-based, it sounds to me. I mean, it's, it's extremely performance-based, I'm assuming. It's very much performance-based, but it's also about personality. You have to have that right personality uh, because unless you're going to be a nature or wildlife photographer and just never deal with people in general, you have to have uh, some pretty good people skills. Um, that is something that I've had to learn over the years. I mean, there are times when, uh, yeah, my people skills definitely go out the window. Uh, I'm, I'm Spanish, so I have a temper sometimes, and I'll be the first person to sit there and admit that, you know, it sometimes gets the better of me, and, uh, and I've been at fault on many, many occasions. I am my worst enemy, right. uh, both when it comes to my work 
it comes when it comes to my attitude. And I think that's also part of the uh, the artistic mindset. You know, we're always doubting ourselves, and then sometimes we get a little overpassionate, and we kind of stick our foot in our mouths, and we pay the piper, and you kind of go back to it. So it's it's a very very dynamic uh, career. So it's uh, it's always a learning experience, regardless. And I think that's one of the coolest things about it is that you're constantly learning. And, uh, you know, the, the neat thing about photography and, and, and any of these arts and, and with flying that I like is, you know, you're only as good as your last landing or really your next landing and, and you know, your next flight. Same thing with photography. You, you never know what's going to happen next. I see I talk to writers all the time and it's like, hey, what's going to happen on that piece of paper next? We don't know. But that that's really rewarding. Uh, one thing about aviation photography, uh, from my viewpoint, now I've flown a lot of photographers, and one of the things that I always try to do is look through the lens of the photographer, and it's it's a tough thing to do. Like, where what is the subject? How do I get there? What's the lighting like? Try to think like they're thinking, but but they get the reward of taking that shot. What are what are some of the other rewards? Uh, my rewards are I get to see the the spot that they're taking the picture. But what other rewards are there? Or just in general, what are the rewards of an aviation photographer? First and foremost, uh, and it mainly comes from the field that I may basically uh, specialize in. Military aviation photography is a very 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 specialized subset of uh, aviation photography in general because to do what I do you have to go through a process it's not like the Navy just sits there and says hey you want to go for a flight you know and just throw anybody in the back seat there are physical requirements I do have to pass the flight physical every year uh, by a Navy flight surgeon every four years I have to go through the Navy's physiology and water survival uh, class either at Jacksonville or uh, this year I did it at Pensacola and uh, you know there's the paperwork end of it you know it's it's while some photographers are going to be able to, you know, arrange a photo shoot, uh, like I said, I could probably call you up and sit there and say, hey, let's go flying on Saturday and we'll go photograph this particular airplane. Uh, with the military, these kind of photo shoots literally take weeks and weeks of preparation because they're in a very busy schedule of training. They have to sit there and be able to try to fit you in on that. And uh, so it's it's a very, very labor-intensive process to actually just be able to get the authorization for a flight. You have to meet certain criteria. You have to you know, make sure that those boxes are checked off. So once you sit there and you get all that, the real reward for me has always been working with uh, naval aviators, uh, the ground crews, and stuff like that. My reward is seeing my work appreciated by the guys that go out and do this day in and day out. I mean, yeah, it's kind of cool to sit there and kind of look at your logbook and say, yep, there's some F-14 time and there's a little bit of F-5 time and there's actually there's a lot of F-5 time. But, uh, you know, you sit there and you kind of look at it and you go, okay. Then you sit there and you show your work to a guy who just flew you that morning and to see them kind of be very enthusiastic, very passionate about the images, like, oh, man, that was great. I remember when we were flying there, and you sat there, and you told me to do this, you know, over the mountain peak. Uh, you know, I was watching that whole thing come together. Man, that's, that's really great. Those are those kind of moments. And then when the stuff shows up in print, and then you're getting the callbacks from the squadron and stuff like that, and they're saying, hey, you know, we really appreciate what you did because, you know, you're now providing – uh, some good PR work for our squadron. You know, you're making us look good. Uh, you're making the airplane look good. 
you know, you're making our skipper, our XO, you know, our maintenance guys. And you get that genuine appreciation for what you're doing. That's the reward. That's well said. Gosh, just having that, not not just being able to produce something incredible that you can enjoy, but everybody else can enjoy. And I think that's, in, in, in most artists, that's very true and, and truly are an artist. Now, wait, you just went back and said you had a lot of F5 time. Mm-hmm. It, it, well, first of all, let, let's talk a little bit about airplanes. This is an aviation podcast. Sure. Uh, so F5, I mean, is it as loud as they say it is? In the airplane, no. No. And the F5 really isn't that loud. The F5, um, you know, you've got those very, very small turbo jets, I believe mm-hmm. there are in the F5, because they're definitely not turbo fans. You're talking about an airplane that was designed in the 1950s. <laughs> so, yeah, that would be a turbo jet. But, I mean, they're not really that loud. I mean, it's a high pitch, mm-hmm. but it's not something where you're like, oh, my gosh, my eardrums are going to bust if I don't have hearing protection on. Granted, you always should have hearing protection on, obviously. But the loudest airplane I've ever been around has always been the EA-6B. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the way because of the engines and the way they're uh, positioned in the aircraft, the way they kind of angle down, it just seems to just amplify the jet noise when you're on the tarmac next to it. And on the carrier, it's even louder. I uh, just had the opportunity to wrap up uh, a week up at Whidbey Island uh, documenting uh, the last days of the A6B uh, in Navy service as the uh, E18G Growler uh, takes uh, the predominance in the electronic warfare role. Uh, even though the Marine Corps will fly the uh, the E6B until uh, 2019, it's pretty much done in the in the Navy uh, side of things. So I was up there with VAQ uh, 131, and once again, just the sheer volume that comes out of that airplane when it comes to uh, the decibel level. It's it's pretty staggering. It's pretty staggering. You definitely don't want to walk out there with you know with without at least minimum hearing protection, if not at least uh, double hearing protection in the form of foamies and uh, and your Mickey Mouse's. So now you you're in this airplane flying around. The, the, forget about the noise. How about you know you're probably going to pull some G's. I'm assuming. Do you do you do you remember how much you've pulled or what's the most you've ever pulled? Do you, do you know? Oh, I could go flight by flight almost. Uh, the most uh, G's I've ever pulled. And an operational flight was we were doing some dogfight training up at uh, Oceana. I was in an F-18B with a Marine captain whose first name was Jeffrey. His last name was Sharp, and his call sign was Dahmer. <laughs> so yes, I'm flying around with a serial killer, and um, we were uh, providing training for a replacement student. You know, this is a student that's going through the training squadron, and it's going to be a, repl- a fleet replacement pilot. The person was getting ready to go out of qualification for their ACM training, air combat maneuvering training. So he wanted to kind of make a point, and uh, it was a very, very hard, hard fight. And I remember graying out. I remember basically looking through a. Uh, straw at a little bolt in the back of his ejection seat in front of me. And he's sitting here going, it's like, hey, you know, the guy's over here at about our eight o'clock. Can you see him? And I said, I can't see anything right now. And he's like yelling at me. He's like, well, you're not doing me any good back there. So I think we topped out at about seven and a half Gs on that aircraft, which is about what you really want to be pulling in the F-18. We overstressed one time in F-5 many years ago. So uh, there's, you know, there's nobody that can sit there and hold us accountable anymore. But uh, we overstressed the F-5 coming into the landing break at about 8.3. And that was around 19. 
1998 flying out of Fallon. And I know darn well that pilot is retired, so I'm not like throwing <laughs> him under the bus. So, but yeah, so there, there have been some pretty, pretty impressive moments, you know, doing G forces. And, um, it's, it's like I said, that's that physical requirements part of the job, uh, mm-hmm. where if you're on, on a flight, you're, you're not just doing just photo flights. So a lot of times the, that seat becomes available for you as a photographer on a not to interfere basis. In other words, the flight cannot be a dedicated photo flight. It has to be a training mission of some sort. Um, You're going to have to take your images on the way to the training area and on the way back from the training area and any kind of spare minute or two that you have when you're resetting up uh, whatever uh, training profile that you've got going on. So yeah, at that point, you try to become an extra set of eyes. You try to do the best job you can. And, you know, for most of us, uh, it's... Once again, since we're not in that airplane day in and day out, the uh, the amount of stuff that we can actually contribute to that part of the flight is pretty minimal. We just basically, it's the old saying of, you know, sit down, shut up, strap in, and hang on. So that's that's basically, as a matter of fact, my, I have my, uh, my F5 patch that I actually had made up for myself and a couple of other people that fly in the F5s uh, down at Key West. And it says across the top of it, self-loading baggage. And uh, that's basically exactly what I am. You know, I, I don't make any false, I don't have any false pretenses whatsoever about, you know, what I am. I'm not a fighter pilot. I am literally self-loading baggage. I'm there as a specialized uh, air crew with a camera. That's it. Yeah, but to get there, I mean, that's got to be incredible. How, how the heck did you bridge the gap from aviation photographer out of a, a 172, say, to now you're in a fighter? I mean, I, I've done a lot of pictures out of a 172. It's a whole different ball game. How did you get to that point? Well, I never did the stuff in the 172 prior to the military stuff. Really? Never did that. I actually, my first air-to-air photo mission was in an F-14 Tomcat at Key West with uh, Fighter Squadron 101. How I got there was back in 1988, I moved down to Key West. My brother was a civilian translator attached to the Navy, and he was stationed at NAS Key West. And uh, I helped him move down. So I was down there for three and a half months and, you know, you're 18 years old and well, it's Key West. Mm -hmm. So you're having a good time. But after the first few weeks, you're as tan as you're going to get, you're as drunk as you're going to get. And then suddenly you become, you're as bored as you're going to get because there's just not much for you to do. You're not going to go out and find a job because... You're only there temporarily. Nobody's going to hire you for a two-month stint. So I started building scale model airplanes again, just as a hobby to kind of keep me from having cabin fever. And at Key West, there was a squadron base there called uh, VF-45, Fighter Squadron 45. They were a resident adversary squadron. So being on base, had my own ID and the whole nine years, I was able to call them up and say, hey, I want to come out and take some reference pictures. Mind you, I've already had some photography classes and everything uh, in high school. And I had already been kind of uh, influenced by the movie Top Gun. You know, there were books out by uh, C.J. Heater Heatley, uh, The Cutting Edge. Katsuhiko Toganaga had his uh, Super Blue book out. George Hall had a couple of books out after, uh, you know, Top Gun and everything. So that was already out there. So I get a chance to go out to the squadron to go take some reference pictures for my Model A4. And, of course, 
they kind of let me out on the flight line. I did some more artistic stuff, and the squadron commander asked to see what the work looked like. Um, obviously, this is days back in film, so I had to get the stuff developed, and then I had to come back to show the stuff. It's not like we could just download you know, images to a computer like you can today. You don't have that instant gratification. And they liked a bunch of the images enough that the squadron commander had several enlarged, matted up, and framed. They were still hanging in the squadron uh, eight years later when uh, the squadron decommissioned. Uh, but that was kind of my end right there. And they kind of said, hey, you know, got some pretty good stuff. It's like, you're more than welcome to come back anytime. I'm like, well, I've got another two months down here. You know, I might be here every other day if you let me. And they pretty much did. They sat there and said, yeah, come on out. Now, granted, this is, once again, 1988. The, the, the environment is so much different then than it, it is today. Uh, back then, um, not everybody was running around with a camera. Now everybody's got a digital camera of some kind, and everybody's always trying to get access. Back then, it was a pretty rare thing to sit there and just have some kid knocking on your uh, front door, sitting here, come out and take pictures. Where now they're literally turning down requests daily of people wanting to come out and take pictures. Uh, so once again, just completely different environment. And those guys kind of uh, took me under their wing. They saw an interest uh, there. They 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 saw that spark, I guess. And you know, they they you know, I was very grateful that they took me under their wing. And they kind of said, "It's like, well, we know that you know the Top Gun story from the movie. That's Hollywood. Let's teach you." the real thing because they were an adversary squadron so they did a lot of that similar training that mm -hmm. you saw the guys from top gun doing in the movie so i got a chance to get that really behind the scenes kind of look at what was going on and i have to admit i got i immediately got hooked mm -hmm. immediately got hooked. i'm like it's like you know something this is actually cooler than the hollywood stuff so that's right there is that jump that kind of started out i started doing articles uh, because as those guys from the Key West squadron transferred to other squadrons, they would sit there and they would call me up and say, hey, man, you know, I'm now up at Oceana flying Tomcats. You know, do you want to come up and take some pictures with our squadron? Sure. Road trip. Absolutely. Hey, I'm down here at Cecil Field now flying, you know, F-18s. You know, you want to come over and take some pictures of our squadron? Absolutely. Here comes another road trip. And people were like looking at my images going, you're getting this incredible access. You need to do something with it. So I said I started reaching out to magazines and publications and getting the stuff published, and I started writing articles and stuff like that. And then I kind of fell, once again, under the weird little influence of a certain individual, Lights Lean Houts. <laughs> he had just come back from Gulf War One. Uh, a friend of mine that I had met at uh, the Key West Squadron told me, it's like, well, you remember Devo, and that was the guy's call sign. It's like, yeah, I remember Devo. It's like, well, his uh, his executive officer is a big photo uh, nut. You know, I think you know you guys need to meet up. You know, so they introduced me to Lights, and basically that was the end of that right there. Lights and I got along famously, and then uh, Lights started seeing some of the work that I was doing in his Commodore. He basically kind of went, you know, you know, when he was when he wound up being the wing commander. And this was several years later after uh, my initial meeting with him. Um, he says, you know, you're doing a lot of good work on the ground for us. We'd like to see what you can do up in the airplane. And they, he made a phone, couple of phone calls, and they got me approval to go fly in the airplanes. And lights being the ever, I'm going to make a point, and I'm going to make you earn it kind of individual, because there are no gimmies with lights if you know lights. He basically opened that door for me of getting the backseat qualifications. He could have just thrown me in an F-18 if he wanted to at that point, but he didn't. I came back uh, from the, the class right there at NES Jacksonville, handed him my paperwork and said, hey, I passed. And he's like, well, hey, congratulations. 
good. This looks real good. And he hands me back the paperwork and he goes, now go get your first flight somewhere else. Why'd you do that? Uh, At that point, I had to call up a magazine, sell them on an idea for a story and get a letter of intent. And then I had to go to the Navy and sell them on the idea of that story Mm -hmm. and then get the approval to go flying in the aircraft. You know, this this sounds a lot tougher than than any kind of aviation photography I've I've ever been exposed to. This military aviation photography, first of all, sounds like networking is incredibly important in this field, and uh, it sounds like like lights always is. There's no gimmies with him, and I'm probably not even with the military at all. So now that you've done this, I mean, how did you? So you went there, you got your qualifications, and you were able to get into other aircraft. How did you get qualified in the multiple aircraft? Well, the multiple aircraft qual comes basically in the form of, uh, first of all, your NATOPS uh, training. And your NATOPS training, it's then that's basically, gosh, I always remember the, uh, never remember the whole thing, but it's naval aviation training, operational procedures, something along those lines right now. I can't remember it. And I'm sure somebody's going to wind up calling me on it and probably sit there and make me read the entire darn NATOPS manual for the F5 next time I'm down to Key West. But basically, uh, you have different types of airplanes uh, categorized in the Navy. You have jet, you have propeller, you have different kind of subtypes where you have helicopter as well. And then you got like different types of propeller driven aircraft as well. Cause you know, it's different to fly in a C-130 than it is in a T-34 or a T-6 Texan now, the right. new T-6 Texan. So you have to get multiple quals for each of those aircraft. Uh, luckily, the guy that kind of was running the uh, uh, the, na- the the school over at uh, NAS Cecil Field and NAS Jacksonville at the time knew that I was a photographer, and he knew that's like, well, we better just get you everything, Qual, because you're probably going to wind up needing it eventually if you're going to do this. And he was good enough to sit there and say, all right, so we've got all the jet guys out of the way. Now we're going to sit there and run you through the dunker and through this other dragging uh, parachute drag device and its contraptions. I mean, it's it literally is something out of the Spanish Inquisition sometimes. They got me the prop qual. They got me the helo qual and stuff. And it literally is just having these other extra devices such as, you know, underwater breathing bottle for the helicopters and stuff like that. And once those are in your jacket, well, then at that point, if a story comes up where I'm going to be flying in helicopters, well, I'm legally allowed to go fly in helicopters. I still have to get approval to go fly in that helicopter. Uh, I did a, a piece uh, a long time ago where I was on uh, the USS Abraham Lincoln, and I was flying in a jet, I was flying in helicopter, and I was flying in prop. And we had to have on the paperwork saying he's allowed to fly in the S3 Viking, he's allowed to fly in the SH-60, and he's allowed to fly in the C-2. And it was one of those things that if it's not one of these three aircraft that he's named in, he's not allowed to go fly in it. Interesting. So, and, and it has to be there. So if, if I, it's not something I could just kind of show up and like the F-14 squadron sit there and says, hey, man, we want to go fly you in the F-14. You know, they would come back and sit there and say, uh-uh, you can't go fly in the F-14. You're not authorized to go fly at this time out. Same thing if it didn't sit there and say anything about a helicopter. So if I was flying in, like, to say, the S3 Viking, if uh, the helicopter squadron sits there and says, hey, let's go take you up in the helicopter to go get pictures of the aircraft carrier, you know, while it's doing flight operations, once again, my paperwork, if my paperwork didn't say I could go fly in the helicopter, I can't go fly in the helicopter. So you have to make sure that when you're going to a particular event, 
You have to make sure that I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. You have to know what's out there that you might be able to go jump into and sit there and say, hey, I need to, you know, I would like to get authorization to do this. And you have to sit there and you, it's, once again, it's that political end of it. You have to sit there and you, you know, it's that networking thing. You don't demand. You sit there and you say, it would be beneficial if we were able to do this. But you have to make sure that you always talk with the Navy and these people like you're not putting out there a demand that you fully understand that you are at their mercy and they have the final say so because you are and they do that's mm-hmm. all there is to it this sounds like a lot of work to, to get all these flights together and to be able to get qualified in all these airplanes and to get the actual flight on that airplane and have the paperwork straight wow i mean how many people actually are doing this type of work do you have any idea it doesn't seem like many people would be into this in the u.s it's a very small amount i mean when you're looking at a a, like a freelance photographer type uh, i mean there because there are contractors out there you know i've got several friends who fly for lockheed martin Mm -hmm. um you know a couple of photographers that work up at pax river and stuff that are doing this uh directly for the military in conjunction with different programs and stuff like that. But as for journalists flying, doing stories for publications and books and stuff like that, I could probably count the number of people doing this in one hand and probably have at least one or two fingers left over. It's a very, very small, small group. With the Navy, so, I can only think of three of us right now. Well, so that's such a small group. So this isn't something that just anybody can drop in and do. You had mentioned, though, Lockheed Martin. What what would somebody at Lockheed Martin do, like the contractor pilot that you know? What would that person be doing? They're documenting usually flight tests. Uh, a couple of friends of mine that are up there at Pax River doing uh, photo chase on the F-35 program. They're doing uh, every single flight that goes up for with the aircraft flying. They fly a photo mission. They document what the airplane is doing. Uh, the reason for that being... Uh, multifaceted. You have the safety observer kind of aspect of it. Then you also get the documentation end of it. Uh, Flight test is kind of one of those things that, you know, is even more about going down the list and making sure that everything is docked, you know, checked off the way it should be. Uh, When you're doing weapon separation testing, like for that, you've got a photographer right there documenting the whole event, usually with high-speed cameras, not only on the airplane, but, you know, off in the the photo chase airplane. So that if something kind of goes amiss, you have photographic proof of what it is is exactly it's doing so you can go back and consider and go hey you know when this particular the weapon came off the rack it's got this weird little thing here and there and you know so what do we need to do to solve that kind of an issue you know there have been programs in the past where i've where i've seen that kind of thing happening dangerous well yeah um you can probably go out on youtube and uh do a uh, a search for an f-18 letting go of a of a bomb rack with the pylon where they were doing a a separation test and the bomb rack flew off the uh the f-18 and hit the a4 skyhawk photo chase plane and both the pilot and the photographer had to uh to bail out so yeah it's getting it's so this isn't for the faint of heart. We're not we're not talking doing any type of photography of a building being built. This is a lot different than that. No, so I've, I've done that kind of events photography when I was over at uh, SeaWorld. I was a staff photographer over there for three years, and uh, was uh, uh, basically 
doing principal photography for uh, one roller coaster and one theme park when we uh, did the uh, the Discovery Cove theme park. So yeah, I mean that's completely different from going out there and documenting daily progress on a, on a construction site as opposed to literally strapping on a thirty million dollar aircraft and going out and documenting. Uh, training exercises or weapon separation and uh, I've done uh, uh, a photo shoot in an F-14 where we were firing Phoenix missiles over in the Puerto Rico op area north of uh, Vieques Island and uh, we had a Phoenix missile come back at us one time so it's yeah well we got out of there pretty darn quick um, luckily the airplane the, the missile just decided to start doing loops uh, but you know, when it all of a sudden it just kind of immediately turns around and starts coming back to you in the launch aircraft, you don't ask questions. You just get out of Dodge and you figure it out later. Um, so yeah, seen some pretty interesting things, done some pretty interesting things. And yes, it is definitely not for the faint of heart. And like I said, the physical requirements are also the main thing. Uh, that's kind of hard because it's a very, very physically demanding environment you've got the g-forces the negative g-forces just a simple fact that sometimes you might be doing a turn something as simple as being in a somewhat steep but maybe about a, a 50 degree angle of bank uh left-hand turn where you're photographing a subject aircraft just flying off your wing and your inner ear and your stomach is telling you that something is going on, yet your sight picture through your viewfinder is remaining somewhat stable because you're trying to maintain that aircraft in, in that viewfinder, a certain place in the viewfinder. So when your visual cues and your motion cues don't start lining up, it's very, very easy for your stomach to get out of whack. It's, I have come back several times uh, looking as green as my flight suit. I am very, very lucky. I have never thrown up in an airplane. I just had a friend of mine that went flying on an event. He was kind of a... He really didn't want to go on the event, but, you know, he was the only qualified person at the time to go out there. And he was like, well, I don't normally do this. And he went and, you know, he had a very rough time of it. You know, he came back white as a ghost. Uh, I saw when they popped the canopy, he was literally chugging down an entire bottle of, you know, very ice cold water. Uh, he had sweat stains all over his flight suit. And uh, he had a little baggy, little Ziploc bag that was kind of filled with his breakfast. So it's, it's. It's not easy. It is. It is definitely not easy. It's. It's one of those things. And once again, the it, the main thing is being the reward. When you sit there and you see that these guys go through this stuff day in and day out, and I should say guys and girls go out and do this day in and day out, they're excited about your work and the way they're being portrayed in your work. That's what makes it for me. Um, I go down to Key West and fly with a VFC one eleven from time to time at their request. And, you know, they've pretty much adopted me into their ready room. And that in itself is a very, very rare honor. One which I always tell them, it's like, you know, I'm never going to get complacent with that. I'm going to make sure that each and every time I, you know, you guys have me down, I earn that right. And uh, so it's... It, this sounds this sounds kind of uh, a lot tougher than, than most things now in aviation photography. Now, if somebody's listening right now and says, hey, this is something I want to do, I never discourage anybody from doing anything, but this this is kind of like at the top of the, the echelon where we're talking, hey, how are we going to get to this point? How can I do that? Well, you probably were at that point too, saying to yourself, there's there's no way that I could do this. And, uh, you know, what what do you tell somebody that's that's looking at that saying, hey, you know, I would love to do that, but 
that, that's a lot of work. I'm not, I don't know. You know, do, can I do it? Do you think I can make it? I would sit there and say, yes, it is possible. It is extremely difficult. I know a, a contact of mine who recently actually kind of made that cut, and he actually was doing some freelance stuff, and then he wound up getting picked up by a government contracting company, and he's doing this now as a full-time gig. But once again, he's the exception to the rule. He is not the rule. There's a lot of people that want to do this. There's there's the line. There's like you know people taking numbers to try to sit there and, and, and get into that position. And once again, you have that for lack of a better term, that weeding out process. There are certain criteria you have to meet, physical criteria. Uh, you have to get through the training. The training in and of itself, like I said, it's something like the Spanish Inquisition sometimes with some of the water survival equipment that you have to go through. And I have seen even career naval aviators have a bad day during that training and freak out underwater. So it's even the training is not for the faint of heart. Um, it's one of those things where I, I basically sit there and say, it's not just jumping in an airplane, pointing a camera and pressing a shutter. There's going to be all this stuff that's just going to pile up on top of itself. And, uh, it's literally going to be like having, you know, a ton of bricks on top of your head while you're shooting the images, because all this stuff has to come together. Now, say someone does get into this as a career. I'm trying to figure out in my mind, you can help me. What, what else is there as far as military aviation photography I, I think you spoke about a contractor mm-hmm. doing flight tests can you can you give any other examples of what somebody would do in the military doing photography in the aviation field as a civilian because um, the, the military has its own photographers to a certain extent um, the Air Force has its photographers the uh, the Navy has its photographers some of them are qualified for flight not a whole lot of them are qualified for flight but then you have civilian photographers that would work like let's say once again lockheed martin um boeing and these are photographers that would go out and they would do a lot of either product photography uh, for uh, uh like an ad campaign like let's say uh boeing is pushing its uh, latest uh, e18g growler for the international market so you would have a photographer go out there you know in one f18 and document uh, an E18G loaded up maybe for bear, uh, and some of the images would become like the central piece for uh, for an ad campaign that Boeing is putting out. You see it all the time in a lot of the aviation periodicals. You pick up a copy of Av Week, uh, you'll see those images in there, and those were photographed usually by a civilian uh, photographer who was on staff with like Boeing or with Lockheed Martin to do that. Um, it would be a part of their graphic uh, arts department or their uh, their uh, uh, their uh, PR department. Now, how about the folks that are listening that are looking towards the military? I'm assuming you know a few military photographers. What Absolutely. what avenues are there in now as a military, not as a civilian, but as a military personnel taking pictures? Well, um, you have uh, in the Air Force, you have combat camera, um, and this is basically most of the photographers are enlisted. So you would go in uh, as enlisted personnel, and you would be trained in photography, and then you would deploy literally all over the world doing all kinds of photography. It's not just going to be aviation. As combat camera, you would be, you could be one day literally boots on the ground in you know some garden hotspot like Afghanistan or Iraq, and then the uh, the next time you could be flying in an F-16 uh, documenting Air Force One. Um, I've actually known 
you know, photographer that works with us over at Nikon, um, who literally did just that. You know, he was, you know, one month he was in Afghanistan and the next month he was documenting Air Force One. So they have a very, very broad spectrum of duties. So I'm assuming there'd be more jobs there in the military than on the civilian side. And sure. of course you get the same benefits as any other military personnel. Exactly. So I think that that's terrific. And that's something that, you know, if you're a photographer, you should look down that, that avenue. Uh, but again, there's probably... I mean, there's not that many of those out there either. So you, you do have to, to realize how to, you know, choose your battles. Let's let's talk a little bit about the civilian side outside of military aviation. I'm assuming you know some folks have done, a, and you may have done some yourself, civilian oh. photography. Uh, the, the stuff that I've done, uh, I've done what's, uh, I can't, I don't know if I can name the name, but a company that takes photographs for any litigation where they'll take photographs for, say, some real estate litigation or, or an accident scene. I've done that before. What other types of photography is there in this now just the civilian world here? All right. Um, I've done uh, aerial photography where he basically put me in a gunner's belt, uh, stand me on the skid of a uh, of a helicopter and go out and, you know, document leader, you know, some sort of piece of real estate or some sort of building. That was actually some of my uh, my first uh, photography out of an aircraft that wasn't shooting air to air. I was actually shooting air to ground. Uh, so I, I've done a bit of that. I've done uh, quite a bit of uh, stuff with the warbirds and some of the civilian stuff, mostly the warbirds. I love hanging out with uh, some of the warbird guys. And uh, once again, it's that passion for history that I've always had. So I've kind of attracted that. So in a way, it's kind of military. But these days, since it's in civilian hands, it's a completely different mindset. It's a completely different environment. Uh, the rules just are not the same. They do not apply. Uh, the, since it's literally two different communities, uh, the way you go about things in one does not work in the other uh, and vice versa. So that's kind of my thing. Um, like I said, I was a staff photographer for three years at SeaWorld Orlando and uh, really enjoyed that work there. My brother's still over there. He's a keeper, uh, animal care specialist. And uh, he works directly with the animals. He does a lot of the rescues with manatees and uh, sidorcas when we have kind of some of the mass strandings and stuff like that. We sometimes happen here and uh, on the coast, dolphins, so on and so forth. So I would go out a lot of times with the, uh, the animal rescue guys and go document uh, any of those events as well, both for, once again, just pure documentation just to have the kind of uh, stuff for reference. Uh, some of that stuff would find its way into exhibits. Uh, if you go to uh, to SeaWorld and you see the uh, the manatee exhibit, you'll see a lot of the images of uh, the teams uh, doing different animal rescues. And, you know, those were all taken on actual rescues. That's not stuff that was staged. I, I work a lot, once again, with Associated Press, Reuters, and stuff like that. So when we did have a, uh, a rescue or release, uh, it would be my job at that time to coordinate with my team and the guys that I worked for because I was kind of the, the low guy on the, on the totem pole. Uh, but we would send stuff out on the, on the AP wire, on the Reuters wire, and you know, have you know, publications around the world pick that stuff up. So I'm getting a sense from you through this talking that you, you, when you're a photographer, an aviation photographer, you're a photographer first, and then you're an aviation photographer second. So you have to go and, and go out there and get the jobs that, that pay the bills, I'm assuming. So we're going to get a little, a little uncomfortable here, talk a little bit about paying the bills. And uh, so, you know, there's – in the careers, and obviously I'm not going to ask how much you make, but the uh, – 
the outlook, occupational outlook for photographers, as far as the median incomes, we're around 28 to 32 is, is, is a range. Uh, that's Again, that's in the middle. There's people who are making more than that, a lot more. And then there's people making a lot less than that, too. So the, the jobs that you, you need to keep uh, or need to get to, to keep yourself in the aviation photography world, because obviously there is not as big of a demand because it's a smaller field. You're looking at, like you said, with SeaWorld, you do some work there. And, I used to and, do some work okay. There. okay, used to do work, yeah. 97 to 2000, I, I was a staff photographer at SeaWorld. And then whenever I had vacation time and stuff like that, I would actually go out and do my aviation stuff. So in generalities, if someone's saying, hey, I'm going to go out and start doing this, what can they expect maybe to make as far as in general Starting out as a photographer, and then maybe as they build experience as a as a contract type of photographer. Mm, that's a tough one. I would basically just kind of say, make sure you have something in the sideline that is definitely going to help pay the bills. <laughs> even even right now, as established as I am in certain circles, it is still very very hard just to pay the bills off the photography end of it. Uh, and that's actually me going out and shooting the actual images. I do do some contract work for Nikon as a uh, Nikon professional services rep where it's going to be my job to go out to an event such as Kentucky Derby, Reno Air Races and stuff like that, or even right here in Sun and Fun, which I actually do that for Nikon here at Sun and Fun. And instead of my principal job being to go out and shoot, I'm actually in a room, hopefully sometimes air conditioned. And I'm sitting here with a bunch of Nikon equipment and we have a tech doing clean and checks on cameras and the photographers come to me give me their gear to get cleaned and checked. And they sit there and they might check out some of our equipment. And then I get to sit there and talk to them. It's like, well, you know, we've got the new camera out that's doing this. We've got the new lens that's going out there and do that. And that's my job end of it when I'm doing the contract work for, for an icon. So it's not so much to go out and actually shoot, but it's for me to sit there and go out and talk Right. cameras, which is actually good because I was actually a, a camera salesman for a very, very long time, uh, both working for uh, Wolf Camera and Video when they were around, and then also for uh, Colonial Photo and Hobby, which is uh, still a very, very uh, outstanding camera shop over in uh, in Orlando. Uh, I love those guys over there. The Roush Brothers are was always very, very good to me. So it was it was great working with them. So yeah, if if you're into photography and uh, you want to go into aviation, I I would recommend it myself to anybody. But but be realistic uh, about your your earnings potentials. Uh, you may want to uh, have something else, like you said, in the hopper. You uh, there's some people that I'm sure are making really good living, but then that could dry up real quickly. Uh, so it's it's not as steady as some other careers that are out there. And I, I know a few photographers, and almost everybody I know has has had those great years. Mm-hmm. Said that's it's awesome, and then they've had those years where it just is bone dry. Feast uh, or famine. Yeah, feast or famine, as they say. <laughs> well, th- this you know we could go on forever. I, we're coming up on the uh, the hour mark here. Amazingly enough, wow. can you believe that we've been no. talking so much? But but I, I'd like to before we wrap up here, a couple things I want to do is is. A little bit of advice for those seeking a career in aviation photography. Uh, if you were to, if you were looking at somebody who's a younger person right now, just now starting to get into it, I mean, what what would you tell somebody saying, "Hey, listen, they come to you and say, I want to become an aviation photographer. What do you think I should do?" Jokingly, I would probably sit there and go think of another career. Because <laughs> um, trust me, it's it's full of hardships. And now that I have a uh, a beautiful ten month old daughter, it really brings that reality. To, to uh, to focus, um, you really, really kind of have to start thinking about what it is that you're doing. So if somebody sits there and says, hey, I'm going to be an aviation photographer, my first thing would sit there and say is, I understand 
aviation's your passion, definitely, you know, be passionate about that end of it. But don't limit yourself to just aviation photography. If you think that all you're going to go out there and do is shoot airplanes for the rest of your life, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, not to mention what you're doing at that point is you're, you're, you're limiting yourself as a photographer anyway. And I did that for a while. There was, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't like shooting because I was kind of uncomfortable with it. I'm not comfortable in front of the camera. I'm just not comfortable in front of the camera. So I had a real reluctance to point my camera at people. So mm -hmm. because I, I was trying to be sympathetic. Right. If basically, if I'm not comfortable in front of the camera, I don't want to make them uncomfortable in front of the camera. But I wound up kind of crawling out of that shell and something I have really, really, really enjoyed doing lately has been kind of combining uh, not just aviation, but also portraiture and doing kind of like environmental portraits of pilots. Uh, did a, a great shot of uh, lights when uh, uh, I did a, an article on him when he just took over at Sun and Fun for a pilot mag. One of my favorite shots is of uh, Tom Richards, uh, who is the pilot for uh, the highly modified P-51 Mustang Precious Metal. Got this great shot of him at sunrise over at uh, Kissimmee with that wonderful, you know, six-bladed prop right behind him. And you start doing that kind of stuff, and you start seeing another avenue open up for you. Because once you nail that whole thing of, okay, there's certain rules that I need to make sure that I'm not breaking when taking a picture of an airplane— and there are certain ways that airplanes look better than others. And you start figuring that out. You know, it's not just, hey, I'm here on the tarmac and I'm just going to point my, my camera in that general direction and, you know, there it is. You really have to kind of start looking at angles. You have to start looking at lighting and stuff like that. So once you've got that kind of area where it's almost down pat, and I say almost because you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days and there are going to be days where you're going to be kicking yourself all the way back to the house because you know you totally screwed it up. Then you're going to sit there and you're going to go, okay, well, I need to grow. And if you're not growing as a photographer, then you shouldn't be in the business, period. And once again, for me, that was the human element. You know, I, I like getting that feedback from the pilots and stuff like that, but then working with the pilots and having them in front of the camera and, and bringing that human element into the image because I can take a photograph of an airplane all day, but aviation's about people. We're not photographing drones. We're photographing aircraft. People in the cockpit make that thing go. Mm -hmm. So you want to bring that human element into it. And, uh, and that a lot of times now involves lighting. And I'm not talking about just natural lighting. Now you're starting to bring in strobes. You know, you, your flash systems. Nikon's got a great flash system and uh, uh, with their uh, small speed lights. And um, while I'm not going to sit there and I say I've mastered that system, you know, I've gotten a very, very good grip on that. And now that brings an entirely new tool set into my work. I've gone out and photographed the T6 Texan lit up at sunset on the tarmac at, at the museum uh, down in uh, Miami. You know, it was a great sunset, lit up the airplane, and people look at that and go, wow, because it just brings a much more dynamic uh, example of that once again. So it's always going to be about learning. It's always, always, always. You never, ever, ever stop learning. 
And if you think you've stopped learning out on the tarmac, well, in this day and age, now you're still learning about cameras, you're still learning about processing, bringing stuff into the digital darkroom, uh, printing. This is a field that you become very, very adept at, but I don't think anyone but a very, very, very select few ever master it because there is just so much to it. And if you don't realize that, then you're lying to yourself. I've always said that as a photographer, the day you start believing your own PR is the day you're lost. There's one thing to sit there and go out there and promote yourself, you know, as being the best being able to do this particular job and that kind of a thing. But if you're not stepping into a job confidently, but still with that little bit of trepidation going, yeah, I'm pretty confident I can do this, but, you know, Shepherd's Prayer, Alan Shepherd, you know, please, dear Lord, don't let me screw this up, you know, it's still not in the back of your mind, then, yeah, it's it's got to be there. Well, that's some great advice. Gosh, I tell you, I, I could, we could go on for hours and hours more talking about this. As a matter of fact, there's probably a lot of folks with questions right now. And uh, they can go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact and send us a question and through the form. Do you mind if we forward that to you? Would that Absolutely be okay? Absolutely not. Would be happy to answer any questions. Might take me sometimes a little bit to uh, to get back to you. I'm not really real speedy at that sometimes. I'm kind of juggling uh, the day job to make sure I can pay off the bills. Uh, trying to finagle that next gig. And, of course, that lovely little 10-month-old I've got running around screaming at me sometimes. <laughs> That pretty much sums up the life of a photographer here. The family, the job that pays, and the job you're passionate about. And that's, I think that's all of us. Uh, you know, that's, uh, I have a job that pays the bills and this job here that I'm very passionate about, but this wouldn't quite pay the bills like my, my day job. But, uh, you know, Jose, this has been awesome. I mean, I, like I said, we could talk for hours about so many different things about airplanes, et cetera. First of all, when are you going to take my portrait? And uh, when are we going to get the, okay, just tell me when. <laughs> we'll set that up because, you know, Everybody's been saying your, your pictures are really old, Carl. But I've gotten a lot older, so my hair's gotten a lot grayer. I've gained a little weight. <laughs> hey, Jose. <laughs> so, Jose, where can they find you on the Internet? Where, what is your website so they can find you? Uh, well, you can go to www.ramosaviationphotos.com. That's the principal website that is going to get uh, reworked here, hopefully in the next couple of months. That is one of those other things in the long list to do. Um, you can find me on uh, Flickr, and you can also find me on uh, 500 Pixel. Uh, just kind of looking for uh, for Fuji Ramos, and you should be able to find me no problem whatsoever. If you just basically Google Jose Fuji Ramos, it will wind up showing up. So once again, that's J O S E Fuji F U J I, just like the film, which is where I got my call sign, and Ramos R A M O S and. Like I said, you'll you'll wind up finding me all over the place. It's uh it's still kind of a little bit scary how the internet can actually put you out there like that. <laughs> but it's a good thing. Uh, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Yeah. So like I said, to to me, a person who grew up in the days before the internet, you know, it's still kind of a little daunting sometimes. Uh, but you can also find me on uh, on Facebook uh, at you know facebook.com forward slash Ramos Aviation Photography and there. Uh, I do post a lot of the stuff that I'm currently working on. Like uh, I had a bunch of images from when I just did uh, the Whidbey Island shoot back in April where I was flying in the Growler and uh, the Prowler up there. So there's a lot of neat stuff that kind of goes on from time to time. Uh, it'll go from like being kind of a little bit quiet. I try to post something every like every week, some of the more historical stuff. And then there will be days where or actually weeks where it'll just be 
like all over the place because I'm in the middle of something. So just be patient with me. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, I tell you what, we'll put all those links and any other ones that you have at Aviation Careers Podcast slash 64. That's episode 64. Jose, again, thanks for being here. You've done a great job bringing to me and also uh, those listening what it is to be an aviation photographer, specifically a military aviation photographer, and that's been terrific. If you're listening right now and you have any questions, again, go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact. Also, uh, if, if you're, you know, you like this stuff and you want to hear more, well, just go out to Aviation Careers Podcast. Visit all of our sponsors are right there on the right side of the screen there. We really appreciate it. And remember, we also have some scholarships. As a matter of fact, real quickly, uh, we will have links on there as far as the scholarship of the week at the bottom. I won't tell you which one it is now, but there's, a, there's one for... Uh, Fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, that's going to be out there. If you know anybody that's interested in getting a scholarship, you know somebody who's interested in flying for a living or anything aviation related, I encourage you to go out there. Again, this is Carl Blair, Aviation Careers Podcast with uh, Jose Ramos, Fuji Ramos. Uh, he's done a great job explaining to us what it's what it's like to be a photographer and what it's like to be an, an aviation photographer in the military aviation field. The uh, I tell you, if you're somebody that's looking right now, says to yourself, you know, this is something I want to do. This is something that I've always dreamed of. You know what? Go ahead and do it. Try it. Try to get into it. I encourage anybody to do anything you want. You never know where that path will lead because I, I believe you can do it. And if you believe you can do it, then you can. Oh, and Jose has one more thing he wants to mention first before we close here. One of the little golden pieces that of advice I always got from lights was if you want to fly, you got to show up. And that's the same thing with photography. If this is what you want to do, uh, I basically came under the uh, the influence of George Hall a long time ago, and he was a great person and a great photographer who basically even kind of helped train some of his own competition. So like I said, uh, I'll do what I can when I can, but like I said, it's if it's this is what you want to do, then the only person that's going to stop you is probably yourself, maybe your wife or your husband, depending upon. But... Like I said, it's mostly just going to be yourself. If you think you can do it, then if you believe you can do it, then you can do it. And if you're thinking of doing this, then just do something right now, uh, either in your mind, if you're driving right now, you know, stop the car, of course, and uh, write down what it is you're going to do. Do something. Read a book. Look at uh, Jose's work and be inspired by his work by going to his website. But go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 64. Have all those links. Again, I appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next episode. Remember, keep those dreams alive. Keep them in the air, but you know, start building the foundations under them right now because I know you can build those castles in the sky. Talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.